0: Well, as I said, our preaching day is from Psalm 51, so if you go ahead and start turning there, this is widely considered, and I think rightly so, to be uh, the greatest penitential psalm in the Bible, a penitential psalm being one of penance where someone is repenting, they're turning from their sins and asking for forgiveness. When I was, uh, well, I used to write a lot of poetry back in high school, and sometimes when I tell people about this, I say I don't write as much. Poetry anymore because I'm not sad enough to be able to do that. <laughs> and uh, anyway, David was very sad when he wrote this. There's a lot of a lot of heart and a lot of emotion that went into this. Let's go ahead and please stand for the reading of Psalm fifty-one. To the choir master, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion and your good pleasure. Build upon the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Amen. You may be seated. Dear heavenly father we are a people that was brought forth in iniquity and sin did our mothers conceive us pray that you would grant us forgiveness as we hear these words as we hear of your mercy i pray that we would have a great assurance in the forgiveness provided by your son's sacrifice and that it would fill our hearts with joy in jesus name I've got it. I've got it forward. I've got it forward. Is it fine? No? Okay. Yeah. Something something else is wrong. Do you want me to do anything to test it? It's fine? Okay. All right. So as I... uh, Let's see. Um, Yeah, as I've already introduced this, David had... Uh, sinned against Bathsheba he sinned against Uriah her husband by taking Bathsheba many of you know the story if you don't uh, while David was supposed to be away at war and Uriah one of his mighty men was away at war uh, David slept with his wife had a child by uh, by Bathsheba Uriah's wife and God cursed the child so the child died so many people were affected in this the whole the whole nation was wronged when david did not go to war when he was supposed to go to war uriah was wronged uh, david arranged for his death so that he would not find out and the people would not find out uh basheba was wronged and this child was wronged david had wronged many people and this is uh one of if not the greatest sin you see in scripture of someone who truly does have the heart of God sinning, just a great sin, murder, adultery, um, just all kinds of just very evil, wicked sin. But here he turns to God in repentance. And you see here also, uh, I don't know how many people are aware of this, but in a Hebrew Bible, the, the inscriptions, the beginning introduction is actually, uh, th- that's actually numbered verses. And this has uh this is two verses long to the choirmaster, a psalm of david when nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into bathsheba uh, i've not checked all the others but i think this may be the only inscription that's two verses long and not just one verse <laughs> so the uh david as he's writing this you know it's very important whoever's collecting the psalms together or maybe he's writing this inscription himself Either way, it's very important that we know this background, that he had committed a great sin against the Lord. He was in desperate need of God's forgiveness. And there's this key verse in the middle of this that I think is often misunderstood, verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned. Now, if you've ever wondered what that means, that David sinned against God alone, because didn't he sin against Bathsheba? Didn't he sin against Uriah, against the child, against the people? How are we supposed to understand that he sinned against God alone? So I'd like, to, I'd like to go through this opening portion of the psalm and talk about the importance of forgiveness, the, uh, the importance of reconciling with brothers. But then, then what does David mean when he says, um, against you, you only have I sinned? I'd like to leave you with, a am hoping, a, a crystal clear understanding of how he can say that when he has sinned against other people. And it's, I think it's more than just hyperbole. I think calling this hyperbole, you know, just an extreme statement, an exaggeration, doesn't do justice to what he's arguing here. So let's begin. Um, just considering from verse one, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. You know, he's appealing to God's mercy, have mercy on me, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. You know, three times he appeals to God's character that because of God's mercy he pleads that God would would heal him and then three times he speaks of his own sinfulness he says blot out my transgressions wash me thoroughly from iniquity and cleanse me from my sin so here he's poetically describing his guilt threefold describing God's mercy threefold that God's mercy is great enough to be able to meet David's great sin We have, all sinned against, we have all sinned against God and if we are to go to him for mercy we must do so acknowledging that he is merciful. Uh, you're not going to go to God believing that he is less than merciful and receive mercy from him. We need to recognize him as a merciful God. And David says in verse 3, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. You know he is just always uh, after he has committed this sin and has been brought to his ten- attention He's just always afflicted by this guilt. And consider also that as you read the exchange in uh, the book of Samuel, when David is confronted, as it is written, he immediately repents and Nathan immediately pronounces that God has forgiven him. But yet David still feels the need to, to wrestle with this personally and to come to God for mercy. Otherwise, why would he have written this, written this Psalm after that event? So he goes to the Lord for mercy for this thing that is always before him Now, I don't know how universal of an experience this is, but I think most people Can uh, Can identify with this feeling of persistent guilt when you have done something wrong and something is not right And it is just always before you and you want to be free of this thing I think many people they have much guilt and no outlet for that guilt other than other than to tell themselves that they're okay, right? They have all this self-loathing because they know that they are, they are horrible people. They have all this self-loathing and they have no way to deal with it except, you know, go to, go to people who are gonna tell them that they're okay. You know, why do you have all these uh, self-affirmation, you know, self-help tapes and things like that where, you know, people just repeat positive affirmations to themselves that they're a winner, that they're a good person. It's because they know deep down they aren't, and they're trying to—they're trying to assure themselves that it's not true. It can't be true. I must be okay. That's not going to solve the problem. There's no way. Uh, one time, uh, when I was at work, there's a there's a man I've seen at at the office occasionally. You know, back when people went to the office for work. Um, uh, there's a man I've seen at the office occasionally. He's very normally composed inside the office, but I saw him walking to the office, and I suppose he has Tourette's. I don't, I don't know him personally, so I don't know if that's his diagnosis or anything, but he was just, every, you know, he'd walk just normal, and, but then every five seconds he would just yell, help, help me, just, and, uh, and as I saw this, I felt, I felt really heavy in my heart, not because I found it awkward to walk by this guy who's, you know, uh, just exploding with this, uh, you know, socially awkward uh, disorder, but because I imagined that that he might be going through something very similar that I have in the past when I have felt similarly and just wanted to just utter out just because I just, guilt is so heavy on my heart, just help me, help me, <laughs> save me from my sin. It will do no good to deny it. We need true forgiveness. We need true forgiveness. We need complete forgiveness. And David says against you you only have I sinned now before I go into that I want to go ahead and affirm that yes David did sin against other people I will explain this in a minute but yes David did sin against other people he sinned against Uriah he sinned against Bathsheba sinned against the people he sinned against his own child and it is important that we reconcile with others you know we are not we're not to hold grudges Hebrews 12, 14 says, um, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You know, if you are not striving to be at peace with others, you are not striving for holiness, you will not see the Lord. You must be one who is who's striving for peace with others. Uh, Matthew uh, 5, 23 and 24 says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. You see that you know, pretty much here at the end of Psalm 51 where David says, you know, I can't offer sacrifices to you because you require a contrite heart, you require repentance first. You know, We must, and as much as we can, uh, reconcile with others. God does not, he does not need our worship. He calls for something much deeper than these external actions. And in addition to uh, reconciling with others, we ought to confess our sins to others. Uh, James five says, uh, therefore, brothers, confess your sins to one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You know this is why we begin our prayer sessions with prayers of confession, telling God that we are sinful people. Prayer of a righteous person has much power as it is working. If we are not, if we are not open about our sinfulness, about our sins, uh, we're not one who God hears our prayers. And, you know, think about it. If you say, well, I've confessed my sins to God, and that's good enough, and you're not willing to confess your sins to others, have you really been honest with God? You know, John 3 talks about how the one who loves the darkness, it's because he doesn't want the light to expose his sins. You know, if you've if you said you've brought your sins into the light to God, but then aren't willing to bring them into the light before men, you know, knowing that they're forgiven, are you, have you really brought them before the Lord? I would say no i would say you have not now there might be times when it's inappropriate to bring your sins to others right Uh, there are some things that uh you know if i have some some sexual sin i'm not going to go uh uh, confessing this to, to women inappropriately uh but all the same you must you must be one who confesses your sin who's willing to bring that into the light now now having put this forward that we are that we have do indeed sin against others that we ought to reconcile with others as much as we can let me go ahead and consider this what he says against you you only have i sinned and done what is evil in your sight there are a couple of options that people have put forward one is very bad and i don't think there are many people who actually buy this but that uh that basically no one else saw when he did this, right? It was only God who saw. <laughs> uh, I think most people know that that David's not talking about just that there were no witnesses, right? Instead, instead there's something more. Now, what a lot of people say too is, okay, well, David sinned against these parties, He sinned against God, He sinned against Uriah and Bathsheba. Uh, but his sin against God is the greater sin, right? So we've got these different sins on a plane, but this one is bigger. That's also not not enough to explain what's going on in this passage now there is another there's another way that's closer again closer again to the truth and that is that all sins against man because god gives us these commandments not to not to sin against our neighbor all sins against another are also sins against god now that is that is very true um proverb 17:5 says whoever uh, whoever mocks the poor insults his maker right? When we are evil toward someone else, we are being evil toward God. And so that that is definitely true. However, I think what David is saying is going even beyond that. He's not just saying that uh, my sins against my fellow man are also sins against God. There is a way that he can really say that his sins are against God alone. There is a sense in which this is absolutely true. Please turn with me, if you would, to, uh, to Genesis 9. I'd like to read a little from the The Noahic covenant the covenant that God made with well with the whole world but specifically with Noah after Noah landed the ark Uh, Genesis 9 verse 4 but you shall not eat flesh with its life that is its blood and for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning from every beast I will require it and from man From his fellow man i will require a reckoning for the life of man whoever sheds the blood of man by man his blood shall be shed for god made man in his own image so here god describes life now why is it wrong something you know i hear from atheists usually who are you know arguing against christianity like why you know god goes around murdering in the old testament you know he says murder is wrong and then he goes around and murders well why is why is killing someone wrong it's wrong because you don't own that life that is someone else's life you don't have the authority what god is saying here is that he owns all life and the reason why it is wrong to kill is because that person's life is is not yours to take it is in fact god's life to take in fact your own life is not yours to take right it is god's life to take now the reason i bring this up is because i think it it Uh, not just illustrates, but shows this dynamic of God's ownership over all things, right? Uh, God truly owns all things, and we are merely stewards of it, even our own lives, right? Even our own lives, we are stewards of it, and so when someone sins by taking another life, their blood must be shed, not because of what they owe the other person. It's not justice for the other person so much as it is justice for God, whose this life that He is given to be a steward of is taken away, right? This person has taken away this life that is owned by God. You see, all things are owned by God and so and only secondarily stewarded by humanity. And as God, um, as people sin against others, yes, while they are sinning against others, they are ultimately sinning against the Lord in a not on a plane, but in a much more significant, eternal ultimate sense. Now just to give one illustration of this, if I am an accountant uh, working at some kind of firm where I've got some money and someone steals from my account, right, I might be very personally offended that they did that and, you know, try to get that money back from them, et cetera, but now if I get fired from my job, I'm no longer an accountant for this firm or for, you know, whoever owns this money, I no longer have any standing to go after this person and say, hey, you've got to give that money back to me. It's, you know, I'm no longer a steward of this my my stewardship of my life my stewardship of this money is a temporary thing but the firm or the owner of all these things his is is to perpetuity you know it is a fixed uh, ownership so that when that person uh, has committed sin against these parties with this steward involved while the steward is offended temporarily the one Above is the one who has this fixed offense. I hope that makes sense. So as as David has sinned against these other people, as he sinned against Uriah, as he sinned against Bathsheba, while they may be offended, as their lives are are gone and they are no longer stewards of their lives, they no, no longer need to be satisfied. It is God alone who ultimately needs to be satisfied. These others do not. They could hold a grudge. In fact, I am sure that those in hell, apart from regeneration, will hold grudges forever and ever, but it will not matter. And they may hold grudges about real sins that you have committed against them, but that will not hold any guilt against you. We do not need reconciliation with every single person. We should seek it as much as we can. We should strive for peace, but we do not need that. We need, instead, peace with God. And that is why... David continues on saying in verse 4, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Now, however you understand the first half of verse 4 needs to make sense with the second half of verse 4. It is important that he has sinned against God alone so that God may be justified in his words and blameless in his judgments. Now, let's take a, a little thought experiment. Let's say, you know, 1% of his guilt was against Bathsheba, 1% against Uriah, 1% against the people, 1% against his child, and the other 96% was against the Lord. Okay, so he gets forgiveness from God, he gets forgiveness from, uh, let's say, Bathsheba and the people, but then Uriah is dead. He's never been able to reconcile with Uriah. Um, His child that died, never able to reconcile with the child. Now he's got 2% guilt still over his head. What's he going to do? He has no hope. But, but if he has sinned against god alone he can have perfect 100 percent forgiveness without needing to reconcile with those that he cannot reconcile with god is capable of being just in his judgments because david has sinned against god alone now a lot of people read this and they think that david is saying you know i submit to your judgment uh and so if you say that i'm guilty i'm guilty now, he is he is submitting to his judgment, but the emphasis is not on that God may declare him guilty. God could already declare him guilty even if he hadn't sinned against God alone, right? If, if he had only sinned partly against God and partly against these others, you know, they could all declare him innocent, and God would still be just to say that he's guilty because he would still have some of the offense by which he could say, this I'm not forgiving him, right? The reason why these two halves of the verse go together are not because God is... Uh, because David is submitting to God's potential declaration of guilt, though certainly that submission uh, mindset is in there, he is he is putting these two together so that he may accept God's declaration of innocence. It is important that he has sinned against God alone, so that God may be just when He declares David innocent. This is. This is of extreme importance. You know, how many times uh, have you had some feud with someone where there's just not, there's not perfect reconciliation and you know that it's not possible because, because of this person's frame of mind? Or you sinned against somebody and, you know, maybe it's an older parent who's passed away and you wish, boy, I just wish I could tell them I didn't mean that last thing I said. You're never going to get that chance. You know, there are people who have, who have uh, committed abortions they can never reconcile with their child but if they know god's character if they know that he's the owner of all things they can say i have sinned against you alone and you can declare me innocent. you can be just in your judgment when you say that i am innocent and we know that all this happens because uh, god has sent jesus christ he sent jesus christ to die on the cross to pay perfectly for all our sins against him right? Uh, others, that does, not, that does not satisfy them that you know Jesus has died. The, the one who's rotting away in hell and others had done wrong to him, he's not satisfied with Jesus' death. Jesus' death satisfies the father, the one who is ultimately wronged. And if we have sinned against multiple parties on an even plane, we have no hope. But if we have sinned against God alone, Jesus' sacrifice is enough for us. And so, David's confession here of God's ownership of all things, of God's justice, is a declaration that God's statement of innocence is enough. He can be right with the world without having every individual be satisfied with him because it is God's world. He is the owner of all things. And if we know this, if we can find this forgiveness, even when we don't have everyone's forgiveness, if we can find this forgiveness of God's and be satisfied with it in a way that is right and pleasing to him without uh, denying his commands to to live at peace and, and to be reconciled you know if we can embrace that without denying these other truths that we should live in, with at peace as much as we can then we can have great joy he says in verse 15 oh lord open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise you now once he's delivered from blood guiltiness he can praise God He says, I will teach transgressors your ways in verse 13, and sinners will return to you. If we truly understand how God can be just in declaring us justified, then we can, like David, uh, be overflowing with joy, teach sinners his ways that they might also find forgiveness, that they might also find the cross of Christ. And we might, with David, open our mouths and declare God's praise, because he would not be satisfied with our praise apart from forgiveness. But as we are found in Jesus Christ, there's no more need for self-loathing, for sitting there and thinking about how awful we are, because even though we are, even though we are great sinners, if we are found in Jesus Christ, and if we have sinned against God alone, then we are perfectly forgiven, and we have all of his righteousness and lack nothing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this is a great and wonderful truth, the the forgiveness that you've provided in Jesus Christ, this full forgiveness, even if if we may not have um, perfect relationships with, with others in your world. We may have a perfect relationship with you. We thank you that you are just in your judgments. We thank you. We thank you that You are blameless in your judgment. In Jesus' name, amen.